Okay, thank you everybody for coming. Really appreciate it as always. As we prepare ourselves for one of the highlights of the year, the great Yom Tov Purim. And we're not going to be speaking about the Parsha so much this week, but there is a remez to Gramin in the Parsha. Gramin, of course, is the rhymes that people like to say, and it's especially appropriate on Purim. The Parsha is talking about the big day kehuna that Aaron Akoyim gets. So the Pasuk says, V'asisa le'aharayinu levonav kocha, k'choy l'asher tzivisi aysocha. That's a rhyme. So there's a remez, kocha aysocha, tegramen in the Torah, and it's uh, usually, this is the parsha Tetzavah, is the parsha that usually is comes out right before Purim. So it's no coincidence that it just works out that way. The Torah is giving us a hint that years later there's going to be a Yom Tov Purim, in which you're supposed to be Mesameach and sing. And there we have a Rebus to Purim. So now we relate so with saying something on the Parsha. Let's move on right away to a big question. We know the Pasuk tells us in the Megillah, What is this concept of the turning things around? So, to understand this, and really most of what I'm going to say is from the great Sefer from Avshim Shempinkos Ampurim, starting off with the famous Gemara and Tainus that says that the Tanoim, Rebbe Kiva, and Rebbe Yeshua, and I think Rebbe Lazar Ben Azariah, they were walking near the Harabayas after the Chorban Beis Hamikdash, and they saw that there were foxes running around there. And it says, Hizchilu Vayichim, the Tanoim, all except Rabbi Akiva, started crying. And they said, you know, the, the place that it says on it, Hazara Kar of Yumas, the, uh, uh, a person who's not a Koyin walks there. And Achshav Shuhalim Mahalchim Boy, now there's, there's foxes walking around like it's an open land, open to anybody, even to animals. How can we not cry? Rabbi Akiva started laughing. And they said to him, Why are you laughing? So he said, Because there's two Navuas. There's the Nevuah of Zechariah, and then there's another Nevuah, I forgot from who. One Nevuah says that that there are going to be foxes walking around on the, on the Harabayas and the Haramaria. He says, but there's another Pasuk that says that Yerushalayim is going to be rebuilt. So, says Akiva, until I saw the Pasuk, the fulfillment of the Pasuk of Sholem Hilchaboy, so I don't know if I would be Zaychet to see the other Pasuk of Ayyeshwaz But now, now that I saw the fulfillment of that Pasuk, I know for sure that the second Pasuk is going to be fulfilled. And therefore, says Akiva, I'm laughing. And they said to Makiva Nichamtanu, You comforted us. So, how do we understand this Gemara? I mean, what does it mean? Of course, so we know that the Nevi'im are going to be fulfilled. There's no question that there was a, no, no, there was no doubt about it. So what changed in the Chacham's opinion when they heard Rabbi Kiva? What exactly is Rabbi Kiva trying to tell us? That he's laughing when he sees the fulfillment of a negative Nevoah. And so he explains our Pinkus like this. And really, this is based on another Gemara. You're a guest in someone's house, and he serves you food. And it's a delicious meal. So there's two ways to look at it. 
The Gemara says, ra, a bad guest says, everything that the Balabais did, he did it for himself. And I happened to be coming along, there was extra food, so he's serving it to me as well. But it's not for me, it's really for him. He's concerned about himself. That's the Yerech Ra. He looks at things in the way that says, really, everything was done not for me, I just happened to be here, and so I can enjoy from it as well. But I don't, any, I don't owe anybody any, any special akaras atayv because the food was going to be prepared anyway. Thank you for giving me the food as well. But you didn't do much work for me, you did the work for yourself. That's an Yerech Ra, he's a bad guest. But there's another, there's another perspective, there's a Yerech Toiv, there's the good guest. The Yerech Toiv says, everything that the Balabayis did, he did it for me. And, that, and the understanding is, is that even though he prepared an entire meal, he prepared the meal really for me. All the work was done for me. Now, of course, he's not, once he's cooking already, he's not just going to make one small plate for me and make me feel uncomfortable. He's making it for the whole mishpacha, for his whole family. But really, the whole thing is really for me. That's what a, a, a good guest says, an irach toiv. So, just like a person could look at that, and when, he, when, he's a, when he's a guest in someone's house, we can also look at the world in that way. When we're a guest in the Kaddish Baruch Hu's house, this world. You walk to the store, you know, I was just in Eretz Yisrael, they sell their, the milk comes in bags, as you all know, right? So you walk there, and you know, like there's, there's a huge pile of bags of milk. Or you walk here, you know, you see, you see you know, a whole shelf of, of milk containers. So there's two ways to look at it. A person can say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent the milk to the world you know, for everybody. You know, I mean, I'm also, you know, I'm also going to enjoy for, I'm also going to enjoy it. That's an Eireachra. In other words, you're saying, really, this, none of this was meant for me, especially for me. This was meant for the whole world. And it happens to be that I'm taking one bottle as well. But there's a different look, and you can say, no, 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 no. All of this milk was prepared so I can have my one bottle of milk. Kaddish Baruch Hu specially designed it, and he orchestrated it, and the cows, yeah, and it was delivered, and everything was prepared, and all the work that went into it. All the grass and the grazing. Excellent, right, everything, right. Thank you. It was all done for me. Now, of course, we're not going to, because Baruch is not going to say, okay, just you and, and, and everybody else that won't have, so he made the others as well. But really, the main point is for me, and that's the way we can look at the world as well. So, Rabbi Kiva is telling us, you know, we can look at these things that are happening which are seemingly bad, and we can say to ourselves, you know, this is a terrible thing, and start crying. But says Rabbi Kiva, no, 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 you have to look at things at a closer look. That everything that's happening is really orchestrated and everything that's happening is planned. And there's a design here. And there's going to be a continuation to what you're seeing now. And just like now I'm seeing the fulfillment of the Pesach that tells us that the Shualim, that the foxes are going to walk on the Harabayas, one day I'm going to see the fulfillment of the second Pesach of Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim is going to be rebuilt. There's a design. There's a plan. And I just have to believe that HaKadosh Baruch knows what he's doing, and he's taking care of things, and therefore there's no reason for me to cry. I should be happy because HaKadosh Baruch is in control, and he's going to take care of me and take care of things. And that is the side of Purim, of an Ahapichu, that we can take a look at this world, and we can look at it in these, really, these two perspectives. What is going on around us? What is happening to us in our personal life? We can say... You know, Kriyshbaruch is just doing whatever he wants, or we can say, no, 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 there's a design, 
and everything is orchestrated and everything is planned. And at the end of the day, we're going to see how it works. And the Megillah is, tells us this, this, this secret. Megillah, we know it's called Megillah's Esther. Megillah's Lushen of Megale. It reveals, Esther is Lushen Hester, it reveals what's hidden. And we see this right away, that the entire structure of the Megillah, of the story of Mordechai and Esther, of Shushan, of Haman, of Hashverosh, it's all one complex, but specifically, specially designed <coughs> plan that was meant for Klai Yisrael to be saved from Haman, from Amalek. And it starts really at the beginning, when the Pasuk tells us, right at the beginning of the Megillah, Achashverosh is sitting, where was it? Now, we know Achashverosh was from the Malchim Adayuparas. He was from the Persian kings. And if so, his, his throne wasn't supposed to be in Shushan. It was supposed to be where the other kings before him were in Bavel. Why was his throne in Shushan? So say Chazal. Because Achashverosh had designed a, a throne similar to the one made of Shleim HaMelech. And it's well known, the story that Shleim HaMelech, he had animals that would literally uh, arise, and right, and they would hoist him up. Bring his crown. Right. And the guy tried to copy it a few times, they weren't successful. Finally, Achashverosh said, you know, I'm going to do it, not exactly the same design, but in a little bit different way, and I'm going to do it. So he was looking for someone who could do it, and the only place that people knew how to do it it was the place where the Jews were, in Shushan. So, the, over there they designed the throne for him, similar to the throne of Shleim HaMelech. But now there's a problem, it's huge. And it's made out of gold, it's very heavy. How is he going to transfer it to Bavel? So because of that, Achashverosh had to transfer his capital to Shushan. So really, everything was orchestrated right away from the beginning. The fact that Achashverosh is sitting in Shushan, now why is Achashverosh in Shushan? Because in Shushan there's a man called Mordechai. And Mordechai is the person who's going to be instrumental in saving Klai Yisrael. So, everything is, is revealed here in the Megillah that Akash who has a plan in this world. And, and nothing, is, nothing is by chance. And it's our job just to trust Him and believe in Him. And remember that everything is for a purpose. And at the end of the day, there is uh, a reason for everything. You know, it's so interesting. You think about it. You know, we have now the President of the United States, President Trump, the best friend that the Jews ever had in the White House, ever. You think about it, how did Trump become the President? You know, you're following the primaries now by the Democrats also, you know, I mean, you see this back and forth. But it's fascinating, because he was close friends with the Clintons. And for years, you know, he was thinking of the idea of running for President. He wasn't sure, should he do it, should he not do it? It never really was very serious. He spoke to his friend Bill Clinton, and Bill Clinton said, yes, he should run. Because Clinton felt that, hey, you know, if he runs, there's a chance that he'll become the nominee, but there's absolutely zero chance that he's going to be elected against Hillary. So he said, you should run. <laughs> Little did he know that he was the one who would be, was going to beat Hillary. You know what I mean? And so, Akadosh Baruch Hu has a plan, and he knows what he's doing. And that's what the Megillah is all about. It's teaching us that... Every single thing that happens is from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and there's a rhyme and a reason for everything. And if you look in the Megillah, it's not, there's no, there's, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name is not mentioned. Because if you say HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name, then that's already saying that there's some sort of a gilui above the Teva. But the Megillah is 100% Teva. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in the Teva. 
He's guiding us and he's showing us what's going to happen and he's taking care of us. And that is what the Yisoyed of Purim is all about. To, to remind us that here in this world, also, everything is guided and orchestrated by Kodesh Baruch Hu. And we have to, on Purim, transform our view of things, of how we look at things, in a different way. Instead of saying things are happening randomly or things are happening and they're not good, we say, no, 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 everything is fakirat. Everything is designed and orchestrated to bring the world to its perfection, to bring about the ultimate, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu's plan is. And that's why also on Purim, we have, besides for the mitzvah of Megillah, we have the other mitzvahs as well. There's Mishleach Manas What is Mishleach Manas? There's two types of gift a person can give. I can give, some, I can give a gift to somebody because he needs it. And there's another type of gift that I can give somebody, and that's a gift out of love. I'm giving you something not because you need it. I'm giving you something because I love you. We say to each other, we say to one another, you know, we have such love to you, we have such love to our fellow Yidin, that we're not concerned about what it is that you need. I want to give you my talents because I love you, because you're my brother. And the idea is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu on Purim, He shows us His love. He shows how much He cares for us and how much He takes care of us. So we want to reflect, so to speak, to respond to that by giving back. Now we can't give to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so we give to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's children to Klai Yisrael. We give Matanas out of love. That's Mishleach Manas. And then there's Matanas Lev Yainim. There you're giving again. And in that case you're giving to somebody who needs it. But the idea is the same idea. That we're... We're, so to speak, giving back the love that HaKadosh Baruch Hu showers on us that's revealed in Purim. And finally, we have the Sudas Purim. It's very interesting that every mitzvah, every yomtiv, so there's a mitzvah of Simcha, but the Simcha is attached to something. So for example, Simcha, Sukkot is one Simcha Seinu. And it says, We're supposed to be Mishamach with who? We're supposed to be some so to speak, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And all other Yom Tevim as well. We're celebrating, so to speak, the Yom Tev with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But Purim, it says, no. It's the mitzvah of Simcha. It's got nothing to do. We're not some specifically with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're happy because we're alive and because we're living in Hashem's world. And we know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is running the world and He's taking care of us. So that is like the highest level of simcha. I don't even have to attach my simcha to anything specific. I'm just happy because I'm alive and I'm happy because that I know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is taking care of me. And Chazal say that by the Suda there's a mitzvah, of course, of What is the meaning of that? So, Mordechai is symbolizes when we see things going well. But there's also Haman. And there's also, there's all, and it's very easy to say Baruch Mordechai. Okay, when, when things are going well, Baruch Mordechai, I'm very happy. But Purim, we so to speak say that even when things, you know, we don't understand it, and even when things aren't so great, and the way he explains it, he says, you know, a person thinks, you know, I'll go to a tzaddik, 
the tzaddik's going to save me. He's going to give me a bracha. He's going to help me out. Which is true, which is wonderful. Of course, a tzaddik does have more power than the average person. But, on a deeper level, we don't have to reach out to a tzaddik to connect to HaKadosh Baruch because he's there for us each and every moment of the day and any, any place we're on, any level that we're on, HaKadosh Baruch is there for us. And I, I saw this with my own eyes. Like I mentioned, I was in Eretz Yisrael and we went to uh, Tiveria. We wanted to get a bracha from uh, uh, Mekubal. His name was Rabdoyev Cook. He's the son-in-law of Rav Zilberstein from Bnei Brak. He's a tzaddik Yisrael, Lama Rav Cook is. A tremendous Tamil Chacham. He sits and learns day and night. Yeah, yeah, he's like a, a great nephew of the of Cook, yeah. He, um, so we found out where his shul was, and he has like a, a yeshiva in his shul. And we went there, and soon after we got there, like within a few minutes, literally, he came out of his, uh, he came out of his study, and he started davening. And... The people there said, you know, really, around here, there's no way to predict when davening is going to end because his Esrei could take sometimes up to eight hours. Without exaggeration. No, no, his shver is Rabbi Yitzchak Zilberstein. His name is Rabbi Doiv Cook. And he, it's, a, it's a sight to see. It's like, he, you know, he wears tefillin all day and, and he has a bunch of talesim on him. I mean, 20, 30 talesim that he wears. And so he's davening, and, and you could see, like, he is totally oblivious to everything around him. He davens with Yechidus many times because, you know, he, he doesn't necessarily uh, go with the time of the tzibur. And you can see he's like, with, you know, he's like in a different world. And anyway, at one point, though, so people wanted to get up close to so the Gaboyim. They sort of made a barricade around the place that he was sitting. They blocked it off with tables, so you couldn't get in there. So we were standing behind, you know, just waiting and watching. We ended up waiting for two and a half hours. And he was still davening after two and a half hours. So at that point, they had Dav Mayrev there. So after Mayrev, which, which Mayrev, <laughs> even in his shul, even though he wasn't davening with that minion, Mayrev took half an hour. So his Talmidim also davened with a lot of Kavana. But after Mayrev, we were there for three hours. We saw he was still davening. So we left. But what was fascinating was, is that at one point, all of a sudden, a fellow goes over to where those tables are. He moves it away. He walks right over, right next to Rav Cook, and he starts davening. So imagine the rabbi's davening, and literally next to him is this other guy. I'm like, what in the world is, the, is this guy's problem? So I asked one of the talmidim there. He says, "Yeah, he says, you know, he's one of our, he's one of the talmidim. You know, he feels close to the rabbi. He doesn't, it doesn't, you know, so he's not scared. He davens like that. And that guy was also davening with tremendous, like, you know, tremendous islahavas, and was really a very, very, very hard sick of davening. But I was thinking to myself, you know. It's very nice to go to the tzaddik, but any one of us could just go up there and daven also with the same amount of kavana, or not the, maybe not the same amount of kavana, but we could connect the Kaddish Baruch just like the tzaddik could, because he's there for us. So that's what we say on Purim, Oro Mordechai. I don't need a Mordechai to get to Kaddish Baruch I myself can connect to Kaddish Baruch And the same thing is the other way around. We say, Oro Haman, but we can also say Baruch Haman because we say even the bad things that happen to us, Hakadosh Baruch Hu is running the world and He's in charge, and that's why the Megillah tells us Al Kain Karu Layamim Hayla Purim Al Shema Purim is called that name because of the poor. The poor was the the or the raffle that Haman did to de- to decide what day and what month to uh, destroy the Jews. What does that mean? What's 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 unique about this day? 
Now, what's unique about this method of using a goyrol? So if you think about it, what's a goyrol? You put in, uh, let's say, 100 names into a, into, a, into, a, into a bowl, and you take out one name. Now, there's two ways to look at this. You can say, well, there's going to be one winner. Like, that's like people say when they buy the lottery, right? I should buy a ticket, even though it's whatever, one in a billion chance that I'll win, because somebody's going to win. So maybe that someone is going to be me. So you can look at it that way and say, yeah, whatever, any, any name that comes out, well, it had to be someone's name. So his name came out. Or you can say no. The name that came out was the name that was supposed to come out. And everything else was never meant to come out. So in other words, it doesn't matter how many names were going to be in there. If, he was, if his name was supposed to come out, then that's the name that was going to come out regardless. We see this in the base Amigdash and Yom Kippur also. It says this, the Kohen Gadol takes out two, he does a Gairol, he takes out two, two, two notes. One says Lashem, one, one says Lazozel. It was determined by Kodesh Baruch Hu that one of them is going to be the carbon that's going to be the uh, Kapar of Akal Yisrael. The other one is going to take the virus and be thrown away and killed. And there's a story in the Navi, a beautiful story, after Kal Yisrael left Mitzrayim. So there was a Magaifa, and Yeshua was very concerned. So Kodesh Baruch Hu says to him, you have to do a Goyrol. To, to figure out which Shevet is responsible and which person in the Shevet is responsible. And what he realized was, is that somebody uh, was using the Kalim from the Mishkan in an improper way. That's called Me'ila. So he did a Goyrol, and I think it came out Shevet done, pretty sure. And then they did a girl from the entire Shevet, and it came out with a man, his name was Ochan. So now, well, there's a dialogue between Yeshua and Ochan. Yeshua says, okay, now could you please confess to what you did that you stole from the Mishkan? And Ochan says, what do you mean? He says, obviously, if you're going to do a girl, someone's name is going to come out. It has to be one person. Okay, so it happened to be my name. But it could have been his name. It just happened to be that my name came out because one name had to come out. So Yeshua answered him, he says, no, it doesn't work that way. He says, Ten Lashem Yisrael. He says, stop, stop playing around. Stop playing around. A goyrol means that it was orchestrated by Kaddish Baruch Hu, that the name that came out is the name that was supposed to be, the name that was meant to be. And ultimately he confessed to Achan that he stole from the Mishkan and he ended up getting killed, but he was Eichat to, to get to Elam Haba because he was Maida. He admitted, he confessed to what he did wrong. So we say, Al Kari that we look at this world and we see things that seemingly are random. Seemingly things that just happening because they're supposed to happen. But Purim teaches us is that no, everything is by Cheshbon and everything that happens is meant to happen. And there's a plan and there's a design for everything. And that's what Purim is all about. To look into the Teva and to see how Kodesh Baruch is taking care of us and guiding us every step of the way. And everything that happens is for our good and for a reason. And everything that happens is going to ultimately lead to the ultimate plan of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Rizal tells us... No. That... What that means is that Ampurim, so to speak, the Shemaim is open, the skies are open, and the Shefa comes down to the world for any kind of Yeshua that a person needs, he can ask for. Because, like we said last week, it's as if HaKadosh Baruch Hu found his lost child. Kal Yisrael was already lost. There was a Nigeris, there was a Kloya, 
on Klai Yisrael. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu found us back. So the Simcha in Shemaim is so great that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is waiting to shower us with unlimited brachas, and all we have to do is open up our hands and ask for it. Because that is the significance and the koyach of this tremendous day. And I just want to conclude with a beautiful story, which happened in 1953, and it was told over by the Lubavitcher Rebbe. In 1953, so uh, sometime in the winter, there was in Russia, which of course at the time was still under the rulership of Stalin, Yamach there was a decree called the Doctor's Decree, in which the government accused six Jewish doctors of trying to uh, kill some very important uh, officials in Russia. And even though it was a libel, it was of course 100% false, but it made tremendous headlines, and the media in Russia, which was very anti-Semitic, they spread it, and they, they were inciting against the Jews. And Stalin, who towards the end of his life uh, went totally crazy, he decided that he wants to get rid of all the Jews. In Russia at the time, there were about 2 million Jews living. And what he did was, he prepared a place somewhere way out in Siberia, entire area, he was going to expel all the Jews to that area. And the idea was, is that they're gonna, they're gonna just, they won't be able to survive there due to the elements and everything else. He had already sent workers to go out there to build these bungalows with no heat, no, no windows even. And the plan was slowly uh, being put together with the idea is that the, uh, the amount of incitement that this, uh, this doctor's decree is going to cause is going to put the Jews in danger. And then Stalin will say, okay, to save you, to save all the Jews, I'm going to send you out to the Siberia where no one's going to get, no one will be able to harm, to harm you. But his goal was he was going to wipe out all the Jews of Russia. Of course, it was a terrible gazera. And this happened, this was developing over the course of the winter of 1953. It's 1953, it's Purim. And we'll, what? It's Purim. It's so within the few days, within the, the months of that was happening. And the doctors had been arrested and they, was, they, were, um, they were about to stand trial. In 770, the Lubavitch Rebbe is faring his Svaidus on Purim. And the way it works on Lubavitch is that the Rebbe used to say a mimer, which is like a very deep, a very deep Hasidish uh, uh, shmuz. And then after that, they would sing, and they would eat something, and they'd say L'chaim, and then he would say Tyrus, which are, you know, more like, more like uh, lower-level Tyrus. In other words, the mimer is like the highest level. And the mimer, when the Rebbe would say the mimer, you know, he was like totally concentrated, and it was like very, his eyes were closed, because it was very, very deep. And the rest of the Tyrus were a little bit more uh, down-to-earth. So the Rebbe said the mimer at the beginning of the, of the Svaidus, and then there was L'chaim, and they were drinking, and this was going on for hours, and he was saying Tyrus as well, and singing. It's already sometime around 1 o'clock in the morning, Purim night, and all of a sudden the Rebbe gets very serious. And it seems like he's about to say another mimer, and which is unusual, because usually at the, at the Fabregan, you only say one mimer, not two. So everybody was quiet, and the Rebbe tells a story. He says in 19, uh, around 1913, 1912, after the Tsar was deposed in Russia, so there was a, sh- a short period of time that Russia was a democracy, that everybody was allowed to vote in the elections for the parliament. It was only afterwards that, that uh, they took over, the communists took over, and they, they of course, destroyed any, any symbol of democracy in, in Russia. But during that brief time, 
So there were elections to the parliament, and for the first time, the Jews were allowed to vote as well. So the Rebbe, the Rashab, who was the grandfather of the Lubavitch Rebbe at the time, of 1953, he told his Hasidim, it's a misfit to go out and vote. So, um, there's one Hasid who really, he has no shaykhs to politics or anything like that. He has no avon in it. He's like somebody, all, all he does is busy sitting and learning and davening. But the Rebbe said to go out and vote. It's a misfit to go out and vote. He goes to the mikveh, he davens, he puts on his gartel and he votes to the person that the Rebbe said to vote for. It meant nothing to him, he had no understanding, but all he knew was that what you do what the Rebbe says to do. As he's leaving the polling station, he sees outside, there's some Russians who are so excited that they were allowed to vote, they were shouting, hurrah, hurrah, hurrah. And so the chazal goes over there, but being that he's a Polish and he doesn't understand, he says it a little bit differently, he says, Hoorah! 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 And the Rebbe repeated it a few times. That was the story. And the Hasidim, in 770, they realized what the Rebbe's intention was, and all of a sudden everybody jumped up, and they also, they shouted out loud, Hoorah! 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 Which means he's bad. Right. This fight this ended, everybody went home, and the next day, or day afterwards, it's announced that Stalin became very, very ill. He had a major stroke. Within a few days, he was dead. And it turned out afterwards that he had actually died on Purim itself. So what was happening there wasn't just a, uh, it wasn't just a story, it wasn't just a simple story, but what it was was that Tzadik, uh, together with his Hasidim, Davening Takadish Baruch Hu to destroy this tremendous Russia. And it was successful because he died on that very day. And so we see from here that Purim really is an amazing time where we can all be poorly Yeshua's and Nebuchadnezzar help that it should be Bechina of Kalaposhid Yad Noistim Loy that we should know what to daven for. We should daven well. And Akadish Baruch Hu will shower all of us with whatever it is that we need for Gezunt, Parnasa, and Nachas for us, for Amish Bochas, and for God's Kalal Yisrael. Amen.